The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast playoff type atmosphere in here today. Today, we are joined by Phil Van Horn. Phil is a MLB analytics management consultant for Data Robot Sports AI, which is a unique and collaborative approach to AI that combines our open AI platform and has a broad use case implementation to improve how customers run, grow, and optimize their business. He's also the co-author and Emmy Award winner for the book, Cracking the Man Code, How to Take Bold Steps Toward Becoming a New Man of God Today. And part two is going to be released soon. Phil, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Thanks, Casey. Yeah, great to have you here. And uh, gosh, we've gotten to know each other a little bit here over the last year or so. We were talking before the show, piece of advice you gave me about a year and a half ago or so. And I'm like, you know what, we got to get you on the show because you have a lot of wisdom to share. So Phil, thank you once again. And uh, just tell Dugout Nation about maybe your baseball background first. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I always joke about this and it drives my wife crazy. So I was an average high school player <laughs> on a well above uh, average high school team uh, and a below average college player. Uh, I, I always joke, I, 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 when people say, did you play college baseball? I say, no, I practiced a lot. <laughs> and uh, and then that just start, uh, started a long journey. I uh, was a Braves broadcaster for a while. And in fact, I was the first reporter on ESPN Baseball Tonight, long ago and far away. And I've been in the business uh, in a lot of different ways. I was a college baseball coach at the University of Southern California and Cal State Northridge and really enjoyed that, learned an abnormal amount. Coached a lot in club baseball and traveled the country um, uh, throughout uh, Asia, enjoyed that. Uh, was uh, an agent, uh, a Christian entertainment agent and a baseball agent for a decade. And that really opened my eyes. I was way in over my head. That really opened my eyes to the business of baseball. And now a partner and I do analytic consulting, both in sports and entertainment. And in large scale, uh, we provide solutions to large scale data problems. So that's a really quick summary. I'm from a baseball family. I have two brothers that played. My son played. We're, We're a baseball family. Man, I don't even know where to start. Your background, it's so immense. I mean, player, coach, agent, baseball tonight. I mean, my goodness. When you look back at it, all of your accomplishments, is there a common theme? Because you've done a lot. And it seems like in everything you've done, you were a top performer. Is there something that kind of made that happen, Phil? Pure failure. <laughs> and resiliency. And praying about everything, uh, you know, there, there's uh, when you take a step into network television, when you take a step into big league baseball, there are going to be ups and downs. And early on, I was not prepared for that at all. I was so naive when I got started working at ESPN and CNN and Turner and really probably not a very good employee. A little bit of talent. Um 
but uh, I and I wish I prayed as much then as I do now. But God's God's challenge, and I I just say the business of baseball looks like it's pretty easy, but it's hard. It is pro baseball, big league baseball earns its reputation for being very competitive and very harsh. It is all of that. But I, I love that. Who doesn't love a challenge, right? Absolutely. So how do you win? I mean, it's a hard environment and a lot of environments are hard, whether you're a college coach or a professional coach or a CEO of a company or just trying to lead your family. How do you win? Like, did you have a strategy or a plan on how you did like the best that you could possibly do it, whatever it is that you were doing? Ooh, um, how do uh, I'll, I'll answer that not directly the way I, I don't know that I had a strategy other than providing as, as an agent, it was tough to gauge wins, really, uh, because the, you're a business as an agency, so you got to pay the bills. And uh, But your first is if you're not providing a thorough service or an effective service, uh, an ethical service, if that's what you intend to do, then you're, you're failing there. One of the best compliments or best answers I can give to that is this. When, when my 10 years as an agent was done and I knew I had to stop, shut down the agency and pay better attention to my family and my extended family, I'm the only male for a couple of generations uh, in, in my family. And I knew I, I had to do a better job of being a family guy and not personal services. Um, I sat down for a month and said, okay, this is gonna come to an end. How do I do this responsibly? And at the end of that month, I had an executive, uh, a senior VP or GM of one of the teams call me back and just said, uh, you know, tough to measure success in this business, huh? And I said, uh, boy, could we write a book about that? And he said, well, you did that. And I, I said, I, I really have no idea what you mean. And, and he said, you were honest with yourself, honest with us, and you took great care of your clients. And that organization had about five or six of my clients and he said, you know, that's a success in the day-to-day -day up and down and the bitterness that's in our industry. And I, I thought that was one of the kindest things. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to say that. And we weren't always perfect friends or anything, but we were negotiating partners on several different things. And one of my clients had a really serious injury that we had to team up and help on. And I think that's what he was referring to is, you know, you're going to be in over your head in that business. And they all are, you name it, uh, GM of the Yankees, Manfred, any agency or agent, we all are, all players. It is a game that whenever you think you've got it whipped, it will bite you in the rear end big and take a chunk out of that. Um, so ultimate competitive environment, same thing working in the entertainment industry here in Los Angeles where I live, same thing day to day, over and over again. So you have to set your own standard of what you're comfortable with when you're successful and when things don't go well at all and it's very public and you, uh, you get your rear end whipped up and down Main Street. Uh, that will happen when you step into big environments like that. It did to me, for sure. Wow. So let's talk about success. I, do you have like a definition of that? I, I hear honest with yourself, honest with us, took care of our clients. I think that's pretty interesting. How do you measure and how does one measure their success, whether they're a coach or a player or a, uh, you know, a CEO or a father? Like, how do you actually know if you're doing a good job and whatever it is you're doing? Right. So I, uh, I've always been attracted to John Wooden's success. Uh, I, I grew a definition of success. I grew up in Indianapolis and he grew up in Martinsville, 30 miles away. I followed his career. 
And and to paraphrase him, it's just, do you, do you do the best that you can do? Do the best that you can do. Make each day your masterpiece. Now, I am no good at making each day my masterpiece. <laughs> I have tough days regularly, but it, I, I do try to do the best that I can do. And there's some satisfaction from that. I did the best I could do today. And I also try to look at it as I've matured as God's in charge. And if he wanted me to do a whole lot better or worse, I probably would have done a whole lot better or worse. But, you know, preparation has a lot to do with it. I love to prepare and research. And then uh, I think the Bible talks a lot about, uh, you know, self-satisfaction, not in an earthly way, but the satisfaction of waking up, being uh, in the Bible early, praying, and then being about the day and at the end of the day saying, that's enough. The other uh, definition I go by is Tony Dungy in his book Uncommon has uh, a saying about put it to bed. We did enough today. Let's go ahead and be around family and start again tomorrow. So I, I try to be kind to myself, which is easier now that I have a little bit of gray hair. <laughs> As a younger person, I drove myself and others around me nuts. Uh, but I, I think that comes internally, and I'm I'm grateful for the prayer life I have, and that I am under new management inside with the Holy Spirit, because that allows me to give myself a little grace that I certainly did not as a younger man. So let's talk about that, because I'm hearing, okay, you got a little bit more gray hair now, okay? You didn't have some of this stuff you're talking about earlier in life. I always like to ask the question, you know, what would you, what advice would you give your 27-year-old self or 37-year-old self? But I want to touch base on something you brought up. You brought up Holy Spirit, Spirit. You brought up Jesus. Like not everybody that listens to this, they may know it. They may think they know it. Like, what does that actually mean? Because I know growing up as a baseball player, the last thing I needed was Jesus to help me. Like I need, needed to help myself and hit, figure out how to hit a curveball. Right. Um, so like, what is this Holy Spirit, Jesus thing that you're talking about? And this actually helped you be good at your career and stuff. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's, uh, it's not a church. It's not a building. It's, uh, it's not a, a religion thing. It's a personal relationship with Jesus, which is kind of hard to understand if you are, are not doing that, but that's what it's about. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And that gets me up in the morning to read the Bible, to learn some of the lessons, but what does the Bible say? Try to make it simply understandable just so that I can understand it and then walk out the best I can and and uh, the best I can do that and, and to understand and to give grace to other people, whether they're, you know, a deep theologian, well-practiced, well-read, or it's someone who just says, tell me a little bit about this Jesus thing. What does that mean to you? And I'm happy to do that. Really, really happy to do that. I love being in that churn of new believers or people who are going back and saying, I've attended church. I kind of been involved in religion. I don't really understand that. What what does that help me understand what a personal relationship is? And I'm I'm more than happy to do that. And that's really what it means to me. I'm not about religion or buildings and that kind of thing. I, I want a personal relationship with Christ. I love it. Well, we'll make sure to put your contact in the show notes and all of that because that's a that's something that's really important to me, I know, and I want more people to know that. So that's really cool. Now you talked earlier about make every day your masterpiece. I thought that was interesting. So, and then you talked about preparation. Yeah. So do you, are you a guy that's like, you're 
preparing the night before to make the next day awesome and you have like everything lined up and your schedule and your to-do list like what does make every day your masterpiece because that sounds beautiful masterpiece it's a beautiful thing it feels like my day was great everything was perfect i had margin i had time i got all my things done verse not the masterpiece i was stressed out i have no time i'm burnt out i you know like what does that look like well, make every day your masterpiece is what John Wooden said his father said to him. And his father had had a pretty hard life. <clears throat> now, everything you just described is what I am in my dreams, right? <laughs> but in reality, it, I, and, and my work is often project related. So I'm, I'm on a project for a day or two or a week or two, and then I'm off project for a while. So I am a big researcher, full of here is a meeting next week that I will read and research and watch videos and go to all the links and make sure that I, uh, and, and I will take notes and write them down. And uh, really, uh, I, I have that ability. I'm not a nine to fiver. I don't know that I have been. And at the times I was, I probably was not very good at it. But uh, I enjoy research and I've been blessed with opportunities over the last uh, you know quarter century is when I have a chance for the last 20 years, when I have a chance to, uh, and I'm on project, I sit down and do my homework. I love to learn. It still stimulates me far better than maybe when I was like a college student or something like that, or early in my career. I love to learn. That gets me excited. And I always be able to seem to find a way that, you know, I'm looking around at different things on my desk that need to be done. And because I, I really enjoy to learn and prepare. Got it. Who are some of the players that you worked with or professionals that you felt did a great job at making every day their masterpiece? Ooh, ooh boy. Um, all right. <clears throat> Before we did this, you asked me my favorite players, right? Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm going to talk about Giancarlo Stanton with the Yankees. Uh, he grew up in our neighborhood, and I worked with him on hitting when he was young. And and growing, I I, I can say I taught him to hit, although – he really taught himself, but he and his father, Mike, have been very kind uh, to me, very gracious. I was around him at a time when he was uh, struggling as a hitter in high school. And after we worked together, he started having a great deal of success. And um, so I, he's one of my favorite guys. And one of the things about working with him that was so rewarding is uh, people have always underestimated him. His mother's Puerto Rican, his, his father's white. And they look at the color of skin and they think, well, he's just an athlete. Or I, people always underestimated how bright he was and how resilient he was as an athlete. He was an accomplished football and basketball player way before he was an accomplished baseball player. And uh, but he was a figure outer, and working with him was so rewarding because he realized I'm struggling as a hitter. I think as a junior in high school, he hit under 200. And he struck out a lot, and he'd hit the ball a mile foul uh, down the left field line. And I'd say, okay, let's take a couple months, let's figure this out. He was so humble and so willing to receive instruction that after about three or four weeks of together, you know, so let's go play some high-level club games and see what happens. And he he was so humble. He'd, he would never say, hey, Phil, I got this. He'd just say, yeah, let's go play. And then, you know, after about three or four weeks, he was every bit on his way to being an accomplished prospect. And he was not when we started. And there wasn't no great brilliance on my part. It's just 
right timing, right place with a really wonderful uh, young man and athlete. So that was a very rewarding experience. And when we get in the cage together, he was dialed in and he would do precisely what I was asking him to do. And then when he got out into games, he translated what we were doing in the cage right into the game. And it was it was immediate and it was a sight to behold. It was beautiful. I was at a group this morning with a bunch of guys and uh, we're working with a friend and I was asking their opinion of how to how to reach this person because they're struggling. You can see it. They're probably hitting below 200 and just life type stuff. And I'm like, I just don't know if they're willing to listen. It feels like they still got it figured out. What do you think it was about Stanton that made him willing to receive the advice that you were giving him? What was it? Hunger, desire. He had a lot of hunger to do better. Because uh, at times he'd have peaks of being really good at fill in the blank, football as a receiver and kicker and punter and basketball, you know, he'd be really, and then he'd have times where he just clearly wasn't as good as he could be. And in baseball, uh, it, it really was a matter of, it's like, I, I know I'm way better than what's happening. And uh, fortunately for him, his success was so immediate when we got out of the cage, uh, it, he couldn't help but say, oh, wait a minute, I, I've got this. And he just wore out the batting cage. In fact, the, he got drafted by the Marlins, and the scout that drafted him, uh, Tim, I'm, I'm going to use Tim's last name because he's always very shy about that, but he did a lot of extra work, and he deserves a lot of credit. And so does one of his hitting coaches when he got to the Marlins. They really deserve the credit, along with Giancarlo himself. As Tim went to the scout with the Marlins here in Southern California, he went to watch uh, G work out in the cage. And I, I just said, watch him wear out a, a set of batting gloves. He just couldn't get enough of it because he had a taste of success. People were starting to notice. And he didn't know how good he was, but he had a lot of desire to get better that day or that hour in the cage. And that was uncommon. That was fun to watch. Wow, amazing. So is there a difference? Have you seen players that, have the hunger or the want, but they're just not ready to accept the advice yet? Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's a personal thing. And that's it's, it's that saying, they got to know that you care before they care what you know, right? And getting some buy-in is not easy because we all have, we're, you know, we're all different, right? We're all made different. That is really difficult. And I've, I've been around different young men and women today, athletes and achievers. And there are, to the achievers, they're very much like the, you know, the profile when you were in high school or college or when I was in high school or college. But there's, there's so many other kinds of personality profiles because of all the interest and of what's going on here. It just, you know, do your own thing, be into that niche. It, it's difficult to know just exactly where that attention span is. But I'm also around athletes who have tremendous desire, want to get better, want to be focused, and what a joy that is. So I'm, I'm around, I think I have three guys in college right now that I mentor, and I, I couldn't be any more proud of them, no differently from any guy I've been around, you know, since I started doing this. Really cool. So going back to, you know, maybe some swings and a miss, right, over your career, is there anything that have been some learning lessons that you've learned over the years that you're like, you know what, looking back at it, that was a lesson learned that you might want to share with Dugout Nation to, you know, encourage or inspire us. 
Well, failure has been uh, failure and success have been equal partners of mine uh, for a long, long time. Um, kind of like legs in the same pair of tights. <laughs> Uh, and I, I never realized I, 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 I never liked failure at all. And I still don't. But it's it's part of. And if you're going to strive and you're going to be resilient and if you're going to bounce back, I was, uh, when I when I'm around athletes, and around uh, mentoring other uh, executives or business leaders, I would say, look, four out of five times, you know, something bad's going to happen. It's not a big deal. You know, uh, nine out of 10, things are going to happen, even something really bad. It's not a big deal. You shrug off, you move on. But that one out of 10, when it hurts, uh, acknowledge, acknowledge. Because failure is going to, if you're going to achieve something, especially today, if you're out in the public eye or of any kind, and I don't know how much success you can have and not be somewhat public these days, you're going to be open to criticism. There are going to be tough times. You're going to fail. I sure have publicly. Big, 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 big failure. And that's not fun. It's not good. But I, I, I pray and say, all right, God, what do you want me to learn? I, you know, I got my rear end handed to me here. How do we pick ourselves back up and do something else or do what's next? And that form of resiliency, I, I, I just say be alert to it. Um, lean into it, right? As failure is a part of success. I don't know many coaches. I don't know many executives. I don't know many people that strive, that haven't had really harsh failure and sometimes almost repeated failure that's a part of what they do. And I, uh, one of the things that's interesting about pro sports right now and, and big league baseball, think of the managers. You know, I think of Buck with the Mets. You know, what, is this his fifth team? I'm trying to think the Mets might be his fifth yeah. team. Yeah, you know, the, I think the last two times he was fired, that really didn't go very well. <laughs> but I give him credit for him bouncing back. But it's the same thing with some players, too. Players bounce back. And uh, I, I look around and say, you know, I, I respect that because in business, you're going to have days where you get your rear end handed to you. I, I sure did. Is there a way or is there a process that you go about analyzing things that aren't working or things aren't going the way that I want them to go, whether you're halfway through your baseball season and you're hitting 220 and you, you know you need to do better, right? Is there a way to analyze why things aren't working or why you fail to prevent it from happening in the future? You know, you made me think of be a realist and be a dreamer. <laughs> Some be a realist, eh, this isn't going too well. Be a dreamer. Well, I'm sure there, you know, this is going to get better right away. Uh, mental game in baseball is really big. Ken Revisa, Harvey Dorfman, both of them uh, have passed away. Uh, and I have friends who are very involved in mental game right now. So take a breath. Okay, be where your feet are today. And uh, let's go one pitch at a time. Let's go one day at a time. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. And let's not look back too much. That's what the Bible teaches. Let's not look back too much. And uh, easier said than done and easier to do now that I have a little gray hair. <laughs> I can't say I joke. I have three kinds of hair, silver, gray, and white. Uh, <laughs> and, and so a little bit of gray hair reflection helps as I totally messed that up when I was younger. But uh, And I was always looking ahead and the pain of failure always wore or, you know, was always uh, wore 
it just wore me out. And I wore myself out and I wore out people around me. Today, I'm a little more grace-filled to myself and to the people around me. And I kind of give a really, when a really bad thing happens in business or ministry, let's give it 24 hours. If that's not enough, give it three days. Then let's just move on. You know, be grace-filled to ourselves, to the people around us. Time to move on. Take the L and move on. Take the loss. Take a breath. Be where your feet are. And don't try to look back too much. I think so. Or look ahead, you know. Say, okay, what do I need to do? To, to go ahead and go to bed, wake up in the morning, start to get, get in the Bible, pray some, and then do what's right at hand uh, the next day. That has served me well through success and failure, and it allows me to not think too much of the success, uh, success, although I'm grateful for that. I'm like anybody else. And when things don't go so well, just say, all right, this isn't good. Let's go to bed and just get them started again tomorrow. Why is it so hard to do what you're saying? Because it's it's hard, right? Like, hang on, the meeting's not going the right way. Hey, it's the sixth inning and I've had two errors and I'm 0 for 3. Like, why is it so hard in life to make a bad day good, to take the breath, to say, hey, here's where I'm at today. Why not get stuck in the past? Like, why is it so hard to do that? Yeah, because we, we uh, usually we care and we're human beings. And uh, life speeds up, the game speeds up. That's when we have to have the habit of good mental game or the habit of, okay, we got to identify, this is not going so well. Ken Revisa, the late Ken Revisa, was a master of all this stuff in sports and business. He was so good at it. Uh, Steve Springer, the quality at-bat guy, he is the master of making this simple and easily understandable for sports and for business. And that's a lot of what they preach. Every day is opening day. Start again tomorrow, and let's see how that works out. I like it. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, well, what do you, you know, there's leaders on this call that are leading their families or businesses or coaches. Any piece of advice, if you could give Dugout Nation one piece of advice, something that you've found to be something that uh, is worthwhile sharing? Oh, boy. My mind races. One, marry well. <laughs> be, <laughs> I, I, I married well, a, a very wonderful, godly woman, 37 years. That's my biggest success. Is, is, and and it is, uh, it's been a good thing through the ups and downs. So marry well, if at all possible. And I, uh, I so that's one. Uh, two, uh, you know, open the Bible, start the day in the Bible, first thing. And you don't have to read a lot. Read read a verse or a chapter. Uh, but when that becomes a habit, it allows uh, some of the leveling out of the ups and downs, the hills and valleys in life. And then just pray about everything, no matter what it is. And it, prayer does not have to be a really big, fancy theological discussion. And in fact, some of the most genuine, simple, heartfelt prayers are the best and inspire others. So I I mean, that foundation, I wish I had that foundation when I was younger, but that foundation as an adult has really allowed me to, to be who God, I think, has made me to be now and allow me to serve him in ministry to men, women, and couples and allow me to be in business when we take a pretty good hit and things don't go well. Or when we have great success to look around, see who can I share this success with? Got it. So let's let's talk about marriage. Because you said, hey, that was your first piece of advice, marry well. So there's three groups of people on this call, probably. There's some that have never been married, 
some that are and some that were married at one point or another and maybe were divorced. So talking about marrying well, like how do you, if you're single on this call and you're listening, like what advice would you give them to marry well? Like, and then I guess somebody's marrying them. So it's also, how do you know your partner's marrying well? Like, what does that look like? Good boy. So we're jump, we're diving in the deep end here, Casey. We're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> so I, I have, uh, I've done uh, Christian marital counseling and I've uh, uh, officiated weddings. And it's usually of some of the baseball players that I've mentored and been close to. And I, I think it starts with Christian counseling because, uh, you know, I, I think I have a niece who cuts hair and has a hair business. She has to go through weeks, months, all kinds of training and licensing to learn to cut hair. You can get married like that. <laughs> and I think I think being married might be a little more involved than, you know, having a small business. Uh, so one, pray, 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 for goodness sakes. And then I, I, I'll joke, my, my wife proposed to me. So find someone that really loves you enough to propose to you before you propose to them. <laughs> Going back, it takes more time to get your license to cut somebody's hair than it does to get married. Like, but so many people don't get premarital help. Like, why do you think that is? Um, culture. So in the Bible, um, Paul writes about, hey, if you're going to get married, you're going to have trouble. So if you're not inclined to get married, don't, because that's a good thing. So that should be, and, but we don't publicize that. Hey, marriage is hard, and you're going to be in it for a long time, and there are going to be ups and downs. And, you know, you, you've got to learn to let go of resentment. You are going to have to be grace-filled and when someone extends grace you my wife gave me grace early in our marriage long before either one of the two of us understood the full value of that and i you know i i'm so grateful to her that was her nature before we really understood biblical grace and and just how valuable that is now i i, I looked at understand that and i think oh my gosh that was just the most wonderful thing and and when i when i do premarital counseling christian counseling we open the Bible and we say, okay, what does the Bible say about marriage? And I talk to guys about uh, sexual integrity. And I, I make them read a book, uh, Every Man's Battle. I think I have that right around here. And say, guys, you're going to have to win the battle of the eyes. You owe that to her, to Christ, and to yourself. You're going to have to win the battle of the eyes because that visual stimulation is what gets guys. And it's very common. And after coming off of the lockdown, that's a big problem for guys in church and out of church and women, too, bigger than they uh, want to talk about right now. And so it starts with what does the Bible say? Now, are, are we going to do that? Is, is that going to be our goal? Is that the standard? Uh, oftentimes, Casey, when I get the gals, the guys in, and I'm very familiar with the guys, most of them I've known since they were really young. And the gals will say something to me like, you know, Phil, I, I don't know much about his Christian faith, but whatever he's got, I want, because I see how he treats me different from how my girlfriends, guys treat them. And I want more of that. I, I, I want that in me. Will you help me understand that? And I say, yeah, sure. So let's let's open our owner's manual and, and see what it says. And then let's make that simply applicable. So I do. I make guys read Every Man's Battle. And we discuss it, and I say, you're giving her a gift by controlling your eyes. 
And then I, I always say uh, to the gals, find a baby picture of you, and you're going to gift that to him, and you're just going to put it on his desk because I want him to know the gift from God that you are and that he is uh, the head of. That's what the Bible says. So we, we get into what does the Bible say, and we make it practical. And then to the gals, I say, you know, the Bible talks about submit. If you were uh, talking with some of your girlfriends or the gals that you're closest with, and I told them that you were going to submit to your husband, what would they say? They all bust out laughing. It's hilarious. It's like, oh, yeah, they're not. Oh, are you kidding me? I said, but there's a difference between what culture says about submission and what the Bible says about it. I said, now tell your girlfriends that your fiance is willing to die for you. And they're like, oh, yeah, their boyfriends wouldn't do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> they, they would, they would, that, that would never, no, 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 those guys would get out, they, they, they would book in a heartbeat, you know. They're not missing a baseball game for them. Right, right, right. And and then once you get into it, 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 it I, I've always enjoyed that process and I've learned as I've taught. So that's how important marriage is to me. I, I'm, I'm very grateful for the guys that I've been involved with because they've turned around and usually led the men in their wedding to Christ, along with leading their fiancés or wives to Christ. And that's that's really, that's really you know, gosh, that's, that's important. It's remarkable. I love it. And then this could probably be a totally other podcast for us, but you got the people now that are married. How would you simplify having a great marriage? Are there any things that you guys do in your marriage to just make it awesome? Um, we set aside time to spend together. We don't put hobbies or other things ahead of, you know, and you get into one love language. So we spend time together and we're, you know, we, we, we don't have resentment towards each other. We don't build a resentment bank. So a positive thing is spend time together. Set aside time together. Designate time to be together, your husband and wife. Now, it can be around family or around other people, but be together. That's one. Time together is really important. Designated time. And then we'll go to the opposite, the negative, resentment. Building a resentment bank is a big deal today in culture. I didn't get mine. I'm a little bit upset at you. You didn't get yours. You're way upset at me. We're going to we're going to let a couple of days go by and we're going to, you know, be uh, we're going to be OK with that. But all of a sudden we start to balance our resentment bank. I'm a little more resentful of you over the last couple of days Then I mess up. Now you're a little bit more. We've got to we've got to learn to let go of that resentment bank. And the Bible talks about that. You know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. No one's perfect. We all have our bad things. But I'd say designate, spend time together, talk to each other, turn the TV down, or if she wants to watch a specific show, guys, go ahead and sit there and watch a show that the two of you agree on. If he wants to watch, don't just turn on the NFL on Sunday and camp out for seven hours. Watch a game, record it, blow through the commercials. Be mindful of each other. But, I mean, that's my favorite thing to do with my wife is to just spend time with her. She's a lot of fun. I love it. Well, so I don't know how I'm going to write the show notes because we covered everything here, which I absolutely love. Um, and so much good knowledge for you to share with so many different types of people that were on this call. So thank you again. Now, how would somebody get a hold of you? What do you have going on today? Talk to us about that. Well, I am on social media. 
So I am not hard to find. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm more than delighted when someone calls and says, I don't know why I'm calling you, but someone told me to give you a call. And I say, okay, how can we help? And so I, I do work in uh, men's, women's, couples discipleship ministry on, uh, and uh, I'm, I, I really enjoy that. It means a lot to me. And you could be, you know, 18 or 88, doesn't matter, and all in between. And my partner and I are very involved in providing large-scale business solutions uh, for owners of really big companies and uh, doing uh, analytics, uh, as would be defined by Moneyball, but also applying it across different forms of sports and entertainment and industry. And we've uh, we've been very, very grateful for the clients we've had there. So if any of that means anything, gosh, reach out. And in fact, Casey, some just some reach out to you and you'll bounce from me. Happy to do that. We'll do it. We'll put all your contact info in the show notes, Phil. Yeah. And thanks again for being a guest on the Dugout CEO. Well, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Dugout Nation, what a great time with all-star Phil Van Horn, an MLB agent, baseball tonight host, entrepreneur, a five-tool player. Here are three big takeaways that I learned from Phil. Number one, the best way to start your day. You got to have a game plan. If you don't have a game plan of what you're doing in the morning, this world will tell you what's important. Your business will tell you what's important rather than you telling it what's important. Read something positive. Watch something positive. Listen to something positive. It doesn't have to be something that's super long, something that will get you in the right mindset. So when trouble does come your way, you will be able to respond rather than react. Number two, how to remain calm. Things get heated in life just like they do in baseball and in business, right? Take a breath. Be where your feet are. The past often affects our emotions. And if you don't learn how to deal with what's happened to you in the past, it will come up in the future. Deal with it. Rub the dirt off and move on. Don't look too much to the past. Learn from it and look to the future. And number three, the definition of success. Success is being honest with yourself honest with others, taking care of your clients or the people in your life, be the very best you can be every day and make every day your masterpiece. And you do that by starting your day the right way, remaining calm when things get rocky and being prepared for whatever curveballs come your way. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.